everybody. Welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Scary movie love for scary movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley. Happy Scary Movie Month, everybody. I'm super excited for this week's show because we're talking about the 2014 Man Becomes Walrus epic Tusk. And I'm joined for this very special episode by uh, our resident Kevin Smith aficionado, Mr. Rob DiCristino. Hey, Rob. Uh, no, I'm sorry. This is uh, Guy Lepointe. Oh, Guy uh, Lepointe. Inspector Guy Lepointe. Hello, scary movie month. <laughs> is that uh-huh. the point at which the movie goes off the rails? Goes right off the fucking rails. Okay. I, I'm not sure anymore. But I Well, we'll talk about it. But yeah. I, 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 this viewing gave me an appreciation for it. I'll just say that. Yeah, me too. I think that's where I'm at too. But all right, we'll get we'll, we'll get into we'll, Tusk, we'll, everybody. Yeah, let's not blow our wads too soon. All right, calm down, everybody. People can't wait for us to talk about Tusk. Just calm down, everybody. The internet fervor was fervorous. <laughs> now you were just on to talk about a different Kevin Smith movie. We talked about Dogma. Are we only podcasting Kevin Smith movies from this point forward? So I've never seen Cop Out all the way through, and if this gives me an excuse, then I guess I should. <laughs> I don't know. Wait, but that stars uh, Midnight in the Switchgrass's Bruce Willis, yeah? Oh, it, it does. You know, you know what Bruce Willis is also in. What's that? Do you, do you hear it? Do you, what? do you see it? What 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 is it? Can you feel it? <gasps> is it the excitement? It's excitement. It's scary excitement. It's scary themed excitement for a Hudson Hawk. The streak continues, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> and everyone in between. It continues. You're welcome, Bruno fans. You're welcome, Hudson Hawk fans. We are here to serve you. <laughs> Happy Scary Movie Month, everybody. Uh, hopefully you're all participating in our Scary Movie Challenge. Every time you watch a scary movie during the month of October, go to fthismovie.com and leave a seven-word review. No more, no less. Rob, should we read some of our favorite seven-word reviews? I mean, that's what the people are waiting for, Patrick. They really are. They're just waiting to hear if their review got read, which I understand. I get it. We're five days into October, which is maybe the most days into the month that we've ever recorded uh, our first Scary Movie Month podcast. A lot of times it's like October 2nd. So there were a lot of days of reviews to go through to find some favorites. I couldn't get all of my favorites because there'd be way too many. Yep. Now I'm in the same boat. I got a big chunk, but we'll see how we do. All right. So you go ahead and go first. All right. Ross, our good friend Ross, has about 12-hour shift. Healthcare workers sure had it easy then. Hmm. Miko Vinica, who we have to thank because he has been keeping our daily tally uh, of seven-word reviews. He's been posting it on Twitter, and he's also been politely asking everyone to stop commenting in that day's thread once he's counted the reviews. Please listen to Miko, everybody. Once you see him post, these reviews have been counted. Uh, don't post in that thread anymore. Look, everybody, Miko is in charge, okay? <laughs> what Miko says goes. If Miko's in there dropping knowledge and posting rules, you follow. Yeah, that's right. Okay? Uh, he says of Shocker, no more Mr. Assistant Director Skinner guy. <laughs> Joel Edmondson says of Friday the 13th, A New Beginning, copycat not Jason, but Jason adjacent. Very and nice. Jason? <laughs> um. I picked this one. Okay, so Keith Love says of Friday the 13th Part 5, A New Beginning. Fun, but Tomato could have been squished sexier. Did I tell that story on the podcast, or was Keith Love at my panel at Flashback Weekend? 
It could be either one. I think I know that story, but why don't you tell it again? No, I, I, on the panel, um, the actress who plays Ma in Friday the 13th, Part 5, A New Beginning, um, uh, was talking about how the only big direction she got from Danny Steinman, a lunatic, was yeah. when she gets stabbed and they cut to the close-up of her squishing the tomato in her hand. He wanted it to be sexier. To be sexier, right, yeah. yeah. Okay, so I've definitely heard that story. I just wanted to make sure. All right, so I have told it on the podcast. I was like, is Keith Love a Chicago person who was <laughs> at that panel? That's very exciting, but but no. Well, maybe Keith Love, let us know. Yeah. All right, Matt Linton says of Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. How many more days to Halloween again? <laughs> Brett Cullum of uh, Invisible Man 2020. Movie only good because of Visible Woman. <laughs> Aaron Keith says of Midsummer, Danny chose to grin and bear it. Very nice. It's just a double pun. Right. Well, it's, it's sort of, it's a pun and then it's a play. It was good. It was a good one. <laughs> Matthew B. of The Happening. Plastic Plant should be doing horror conventions. <laughs> that one too. Uh, all right. Chris Cooper says of old. So what are your names and occupations? I have that one too. <laughs> <laughs> Shannon Briggs of The Last Man on Earth. Vincent Price says, get the fucking vaccine. I had that one too. All right. Um, let's see. Mac McIntyre says of The Ninth Gate. Say this or not. I misuse bookstores. Ty's videotape of Pet Cemetery. Finally, someone agrees with me. Kites suck. <laughs> uh, Runaway Dual Rig says of Society. See, the 1% do stick together. I have that one, too. Jeremy Wickett of Event Horizon. First spaceship designed exclusively by Bond villains. <laughs> uh, Marcus Killerby says of Killer Nun. Alternate title. And then there were nuns. Uh, JP, our friend JP, a prince of the Forever Purge, dares asking, what if murder was illegal? <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, Casey Doran says of the night house which i've apparently seen and reviewed um <laughs> <laughs> do ghost texts count against data plans <laughs> i just um purchased that movie digitally today so that i can see it it just became available on vod and i had wanted to see it theatrically and never we never made it out to see it in theaters yeah. so i'm very excited that erica and i can watch it because we now own it on amazon and and, and again I'm, I'm jesting but rebecca hall rules in that movie yeah uh, Lindsay Wilkins of Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. In Freddy's dreams, he's a little bitch. <laughs> Mac McIntyre says of the perfection. Want dessert? There's always room for cello. Uh, William Smith of Crimson Peak. It's Jessica Chastain. Can you blame him? <laughs> yeah. The answer is no. Is not at all. Will Benson says of Species. Builds Natasha Henstbridge to my 1995 heart. Uh, our very own Michael Pomero of The Mummy. And that's how I met your mother. <laughs> Todd Slade says of Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. Love a movie with a rune database. <laughs> uh, Brent Peterson of Rabid 2019. She's all that, except she eats faces. <laughs> Jennifer says of Jaws the Revenge. Ellen Brody's shoulder pads had shoulder pads. Uh, Cullen of The Curse of Frankenstein. He is marrying his cousin. So gross. <laughs> Adam Risky, our own Adam Risky, says of Malignant. She's always backing out of having plans. <laughs> uh, this is my last one, so you can finish up. DJ okay. Hup 
of Lady in White. Forget Ghost Girl, Braces is DTF. <laughs> um, all right, let's see. I'll do a couple more. Uh, Jan Peters says of Suspiria 2018. That's not supposed to bend that way. Mike Haler. Haler, I think. Sorry, Mike. Uh, from Dust Till Dawn. Some Hayek dances. I forget the rest. <laughs> And I'll end on Monkey. Monkey says of Wolf Creek 2, Australia doesn't need help killing tourists, Mick. <laughs> you know what's funny is when From Dust Till Dawn came out and Quentin Tarantino wrote himself a scene in which Salma Hayat sticks her foot in his mouth and like pours a beverage down it and he drinks it off of her foot. Mm-hmm. At the time, I was like giving him the benefit of the doubt. I was just like, well, no, that's just like a thing that he wrote into the movie that, you know, it's. Uh... <laughs> and now I can see it for what it clearly is, and I'm just yeah. very upset by it. Look, we're not kink shaming. We're not no, yucking no, no. anybody's yum. No, no, no. But there were signs. Yeah, I don't care that there were Tarantino's signs early into on. feet. I just think it's weird that he writes himself as that character and has you know some high do that but whatever why not why not i guess i guess if you're the screenwriter if you're in that position <laughs> uh rob have you seen anything scary lately nope but i'll talk about some stuff anyway <laughs> <laughs> all right i'm into it uh all right so every year for scary movie month i buy myself a little present i get myself a little box set i get myself like uh, you know, a Scream Factory disc that I wouldn't normally buy myself because I really like I'm a Hamilton books guy. I, if I'm spending more than seven dollars on a Blu-ray, it's really, really got to be worth it. Um, I'm a teacher. I live on a teacher's salary, I, you know, so I'm like, all right, I'm going to get myself something nice this year. And I had some Best Buy credit. So I went to the local Best Buy and I found the Resident Evil complete film collection for I ended. I think I ended up paying maybe fifteen dollars for it. So, as you know, you know, you know what's shocking about that story is that you found a Best Buy that still sells Blu-rays. Has, yeah. So it, it had. Uh, we we're down to the Best Buy near me is down to the one rack. It's got the one rack. For real, mostly one of, rack. Yeah, it's got one rack, double sided, mostly of new releases and box sets, and that's about it. Wow. Um, and uh, luckily or unluckily, they had the Resident Evil Six film collection. <laughs> Now, I've written about my love of Resident Evil in the past. I've written about my love of Silent Hill just in the last week. Um, I am apparently the survival horror video game correspondent for F This Movie. I did not mean to be, but I did indeed grow up loving, you know, there were days I came home from school and just played Resident Evil 2. It just was one of those things I just loved doing. Um, Never been a big fan of the movies, though. Never been a real fan of the adaptations. Um, But you know what? Whatever. It's scary movie month and we're here to have fun. Uh, so I made it through four. As of about five minutes ago, I made it through <laughs> the first four. <laughs> we were just talking before we started recording. Uh, I'd seen the first three already, and I think the fourth uh, was a new viewing for me. Um, I think the first one is the one so far that I appreciate the most because it is just 2002 screen gems, new metal nonsense with some Michelle Rodriguez sprinkles, right? And it was pleasant. Um, it's more or less competent. It's a movie, right? It's a movie. It's a big, dumb, loud screen gems, early two thousands horror action thing. 
Uh, Resident Evil Apocalypse is the second one. We can talk or not talk about the naming conventions. I'm pretty sure we've had this conversation before. Um, that movie I've labeled Mesh Tank Top Motorcycle Alice um, because that's, you know, you can tell the movies by her outfits like you do. Um, that's the one where the continuity starts to really crumble. They start to incorporate video game characters in that don't have any previous relationship in this continuity. And it just becomes a big mess and a big headache for exactly one person. And that's me because <laughs> uh, I'm the only one who cares about this shit. Uh, Resident Evil Extinction is the third one. And we were discussing this over tech. That's like a good one, I think, because it's mostly just Day of the Dead. Right. And it's, it's Russell Mulcahy, who's a good director. Right. And it looks pretty good. And it's got like decent, you know, there's a nice campiness to it. Um, uh, Jorah Mormont from Game of Thrones. Uh, and I'm forgetting the actor's name now. Is it Ian Glenn? Ian, Ian Glenn. Yeah. Uh, plays the heavy sort of villain, uh, the sort of scheming mastermind uh, uh, scientist. And he's got a nice little couple scenes in there. There's one that's basically just Day of the Dead where they give the zombie a phone and a camera and they let it play with it and stuff and they demonstrate its intelligence and all that. Um, that one is really fun because the end of the second movie is like the city has been overrun. They nuke it with a bomb, which happens in Resident Evil 3, Nemesis, the original game. <laughs> um, and then it's like, oh, there's a widespread cover-up and it ends with a montage of the media basically being like, oh, it was a cover-up. Oh, it was a mistake. Oh, the cover-up was a fake. It turns out a nuclear reactor melted down. Everything is okay. The Umbrella Corporation has saved us all. And then in the very next movie, Resident Evil Extinction, it's like, yeah, never mind. The world got fucked. The world is destroyed. And we're like, and I was watching these movies in a sequence. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. Did we miss a movie here? But it's worth it for the Day of the Dead type thing. Um and then Resident Evil Afterlife is not a movie. It's a series of green screens. Um, she, Alice, uh, the uh, Mila Jovovich character, becomes Neo, basically. <laughs> and, and then they take her powers away. Um, I have two left. Uh, Retribution and the final chapter. Now, I don't know what's more egregious. The increasingly ridiculous subtitles or the fact that they bailed on the last one and just called it the final chapter as opposed to calling it what i don't know something else ridiculous like, <laughs> it's, it's, like <laughs> it's like it's like they said resident evil resident evil apocalypse resident evil extinction resident evil afterlife resident evil retribution resident evil 6 well, right, 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 right. No, you can't. It's like you're back to the future three problem. But it's like, no, you Got can't it. just do this one. Yeah, you can't right. Do that. Got it. Okay. Anyway, these movies are silly. Is Afterlife the one that was in 3D? Oh, it better have been, because otherwise the slow motion bullet time yeah. CGI bend over backwards to shoot a bullet thing is, is just inexcusable. So but, I have uh, seen that one, but I don't remember it at all. This is a situation like... Um... Is that the one that Wentworth Miller is in, or does he yeah. show up later? Okay, I've definitely seen it uh, because this is like a, an X Files situation where, like, I keep meaning <laughs> to get through the whole thing, but I always stop. So I just have watched the first three a bunch of times. Like yeah. X Files, I just have seen season one like four times, and then every time too much uh, time goes by and I have to go back to the beginning and start, start over. So I have to watch resident evil and resident evil apocalypse again. Apocalypse is dog shit. I really don't like yeah. apocalypse. Yeah. That's one where she throws a motorcycle at a monster. 
and it's all dark and yeah. hard to see anything. And uh, I know there's a very famous character from the video game in that one. I don't remember her name. Yeah. It's Sienna Gilroy as Jill Valentine. And let me talk for a second about why it makes no sense, Patrick. Okay. okay. Because the whole point of Jill Valentine is that she's in the first friggin' Resident Evil game. And she went through the Spencer Mansion incident and she met the zombies and survived it. It makes no sense that she would show up in the second one having not been in the first movie and be like, oh, yeah, I know about zombies. This is how they work. Doesn't mm. make any sense, Patrick. Mm. Doesn't make any sense. I knew I had a problem with that movie. Thank you for articulating what it was. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, so you're going to finish, which I admire. I am going to finish, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to watch Resident Evil Retribution. And, and look, I, we're joking. I know this series has fans. I know I know people. And, and again, I have, I'm, I'm the defender of Silent Hill. I'm, I've, I've, I, I like a lot worse movies than Resident Evil 4, 5, and 6. But... Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see where this one goes. If anything, I hope after the end of Afterlife that Retribution just gets like bonkers, campy, experimental, wacky. Like I'm uh, like, I feel like there's nowhere to go but up. Like there's no way right. to go, but you might as well just lean in um, because it really does feel like after the first three, like I, really honestly, after the first like two and a half, if you count the whole thing with Apocalypse, they really stopped trying to have like a we're inspired by the video game, but we're not really the same storyline. We're like by the third one or the fourth one, they're just bringing in characters. They're bringing in villains. They're bringing in ideas that don't really have anything to do with Alice and her weird. I'm Carrie and Neo and I have memory loss thing. And also there's an apocalypse. I don't, it, it doesn't really, there's no real cohesion to it, but if, if they just get to be weirder and weirder, then I'm in, I, that, I'm all in about that. And Paul W.S. Anderson did the last three right does he do everything he, after extinction he did the first one and then he did the last three yes i okay. believe he did four five and six okay. i want to say i could be wrong about that hold on no yes he did four five and six okay wrote wrote and directed them hey now if you could call them written it's his baby yeah well i mean you know he is married to mila jovovich right vested interest in her success as do we all right Ooh. Oh, okay. All right, hold on. I'm looking. I'm looking at Resident Evil Retribution. In the cast is one Michelle Rodriguez. Ah, see, now you have something to look forward to. Is so, so our girl Emrod. She loved to die and come back. Uh, that <laughs> she, was her mo. Yeah, I think she's like a clone or something. I can't remember. I I haven't seen it, but I've heard the rationale for bringing her back. I don't remember what it is, but as I, if you need a rationale. Yeah, really. Just bring her back. Hopefully she has amnesia in this one too. In the last movie, uh, we got a character kick a piece of glass out of rabid zombie dog and it exploded. I, I am not above <laughs> in slow, in 3d slow motion. Oh boy. Yeah. These movies are not really my jam, but no, I keep promising I, Heather. I'll watch all of them. And, and and again, yeah, I know there's I know this, these movies have fans. I'm a fan of the IP. Uh, I really love the first three video games from the late 90s. Uh, and everything else is mostly dog shit. But I'm just going to stick with it because now I'm in. I paid my 15 bucks, Patrick. Yeah, no, you got to you got to watch them. Yeah, yes, yeah. But uh, that's mostly how all I got. And also, these movies have made one point three billion dollars. Yeah. So Yeah, they have. And 15 of those are mine. <laughs> anyway go ahead what do you got 
Uh, what do I got? Um, so I watched uh, a movie called Dementia Part 2, which is a sequel to a movie called Dementia that I've never seen. Okay. Um, and it's directed by indie horror mainstay Matt Mercer and Mike Teston. Mike Teston apparently directed the first Dementia, and it's kind of like a sad, depressing horror movie. Dementia Part 2 is not. Dementia Part 2 is goofy. It's, um... You kind of have to know the context in order to appreciate and or enjoy it. So there's a film festival in Chicago, or there used to be, I don't know if it's ever coming back, called Cinepocalypse. Uh, and Matt Mercer and Mike Teston were, like, dared to make a movie in a month. From concept to screening, they had one month to come up with a movie cast it, do all the pre-production, shoot it, edit it, you know, get it all set and then screen it exactly one month later at Cinepocalypse. And they did. And that movie is Dementia Part 2. So if you know that going into it, you can enjoy it a lot more because you're like, well, this is scrappy and they clearly worked with, you know, what they had. Um, there's essentially only four people in the cast and three of them are actors that I really like. I'm not super familiar with the woman uh, who plays the titular dementia victim uh an actress by the name of stacy snyder but the other three cast members are matt mercer who i really like um graham skipper who i really like and ajara townsend who i really like uh who's in you know the stylist and contracted and a bunch of other so they're uh, they're all these like modern indie horror stars um and the premise is basically matt mercer is a handyman who gets called to this older woman's house and there's something very clearly wrong with her. And I won't say any more because obviously that would be spoiling where the movie goes. It's about 66 minutes long. It's in black and white. Um, it's got some good gore gags. It's got a lot of energy. Uh, again, I feel like it's important to know the context in order to recommend it, but knowing the circumstances under which it was made, I would say it's worth a watch. I'm looking at like the poster and some of the promo stuff and just sort of says the the one hint is midnight movie making at its finest is a yeah. quote. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I'm always, I'm always into those kinds of things, but yeah, it is important to know the context and it made, made me think of the 48 hour film festival, um, which I don't, does, do they still do? Does I, IFC used to do that. I don't know if they do that anymore. The 40 or I think it was IFC. Yeah. I, have I don't no know. Idea because I remember of... my friends and I were in college and we participated in, in our share of 48 hour film festivals and boy, were they just unwatchable, <laughs> but it was always fun. It was a similar kind of thing where you had 40, hours right. to you know, make a, like a short film and it had to have a certain element in it and all that. And, um, it's interesting though. It's interesting that they would pick up that dare. Where does where does financing come for that sort of thing? I think some of the people who dared them to do it were producers. So I think they put up some of the money. But again, you're talking about four actors and a house, basically, right? Uh, in terms of locations, Bloody Disgusting was a partner on it, so they may have kicked in some money because I know Matt Mercer's character is named after Brad Miska. Um. Yeah, I'm not real sure. I, I, like I said, I know there were producers that were partially responsible for putting them up to it. So I'm guessing that they said, if you can do it for this amount of money, you know, go for it. We could probably move on from Dementia Part 2. Um, uh, 
what was the uh, where is this available? I so rented it on Vudu, but yeah, you can. God. It's available to rent everywhere. Okay, it looks like Prime has it to rent for two dollars. So that's, that's yeah. Voodoo had oh really? Was it two dollars? Voodoo had it for five, and I thought I was getting a deal. <laughs> hey, you know it's it's you know we su- support God their damn it. <laughs> support their, look, I paid fifteen dollars for the Resident Evil. Movie. Yeah, but you got six <laughs> movies. That's less than three did bucks I? a movie. Did, did, did I though? Well, to, uh, all right. Together, it's like a movie and a half. But there you. Go. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> uh, um, I watched Bingo Hell, which yes, is one did. of the new one of the new Welcome to the Blumhouse features on Amazon. They did this last year and they've released two of them so far. They're releasing another two this week, I think, because I know Axel Carolyn directed one of them, so I'm very curious to check that one out. Um Bingo Hell is the latest effort from director Gigi Saul Guerrero, who I'm like rooting for because it's a woman in horror and because it's a woman of color in horror. And um, I liked her, not her first movie, but her last movie that she made. It was one of those Hulu Into the Dark movies called Culture Shock. And it wasn't entirely successful, but there was enough good stuff there that I was like, yeah, I'll totally see whatever she does next. And Bingo Hell is, I guess, her next feature. And I gotta say, I wasn't really into it. Um, It is sort of what it sounds like. It's a group of senior citizens, including Rose from Lost who are uh, kind of annoyed when a new bingo parlor opens up in their little subdivision. The bingo parlor is run by Adam's boy, Richard Brake. uh, And I was thinking of Adam the whole time because I was just like, oh no, he's terrified of Richard Brake. How would he ever handle watching this movie? (laughs) Um, And again, you know, things are not what they seem and blah, blah, blah. It's a horror movie. Um, It's kind of over-directed and underwritten, unfortunately. And I was, I found myself kind of checking out, checking my phone, uh, not as engaged as I wanted to be. Everybody in it is good. Um, Richard Brake is always great and scary and is, you know, makes for a good villain, but uh, the movie didn't work for me. That's, yeah, it's a shame. That's mostly what I've heard about it. The only thing I know about Bingo Hell is that I spent three nights trying to get a screener for it, uh, wrangling with Amazon's uh, screener platform, um, and was not, did not end up being able to watch it. So, uh, but now you uh, can. But now I can because I think the day I finally got the screener working, it was on Amazon. <laughs> so oh, well, there you go. Yeah, because I was going to review it. I was going to, that was something I was thinking of reviewing for next week because I got notified that those four – it's four, right? Uh, I believe there are four movies, altogether, yeah. And that they were coming out. So I'm like, all right, you know, we'll, we'll check these out. And yeah. uh, just did not end up being able to see it. But that's a, it's, I'm a, it's a, that's a shame. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. I'm sad to hear <laughs> that it is not. And I'm also ashamed. Please be ashamed. <laughs> well, I'm Roman Catholic. It comes in the territory. Lowly um, dog, bow your head. <laughs> Uh, Guy Lepointe, uh, not a fan of <laughs> Bingo Hell. Uh, I've been to Bingo Hell. It's called huh, My First Marriage. Eh? <laughs> oh, Guy oh, Lepointe, oh, you oh, and your oh, wife jokes. Oh, oh, I love Canadian burgers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, Guy Lapointe's uh, French-Canadian accent might be worse than my French accent. <laughs> but his is by design, and mine is because Wait, I'm an untalented but, hack. But is it better than Bingo Hell? <laughs> is it better than Bingo uh, I would rather watch a Guy Lapointe movie than watch uh, Bingo Hell again. You're in luck! um the only other thing i'll talk about very briefly um oh i got a russell mulcahy joint i can recommend called resurrection from 1999 starring christopher lambert speaking of (laughs) bad french accents (laughs) Uh, um it is like a seven ripoff uh starring christopher lambert as a chicago detective who is put on a case where a guy is dismembering bodies in order to build his own Jesus. Well, like you do. Right. Um, So I liked that it was shot in Chicago. It's directed by Russell Mulcahy. He knows how to make a movie. Um, I got it from Vinegar Syndrome. Uh, It was a blind buy from Vinegar Syndrome. I had messaged a little bit with Brad Henderson, who works there. Uh, because I was ordering WNUF Halloween special in order to screen it as part of mine and Erica's 24-hour horror festival that we're doing this weekend. And I was like, well, I'm ordering this movie. I want to order another one and see if it it didn't end up affecting the shipping, but I was trying to... I was like, do they have free shipping? Um, So I messaged him and I said, if I could just buy one other movie, what should I get? And he was like, oh, Resurrection, for sure. So I took his advice. I bought Resurrection... I'm super glad I did because it really is a fun movie. I was expecting it to be uh, Vinegar Syndrome can be a little bit like um, flying close, yeah. too close to the sun sometimes. I, I, I was gonna say blind buying from Vinegar Vinegar Syndrome is a is a risky. No, not no offense to them at all. They put which is kind stuff. of all just... you can ever do though is blind buy because yeah. like most of the movies are like oh I've never right. even fucking heard of this thing exactly. Yeah, yeah but yeah. the only can... way to see it is to buy their Blu-ray, right? And I'm trying to not do that anymore uh, because I was blind buying a lot of stuff and. That's how you end up with like puppet porn, you know, and I don't need yeah. more puppet porn in my collection. Not more. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I, those bases are covered. <laughs> we have, we, that search bar is closed. <laughs> um, but yeah, Resurrection is a, is a really fun 90s thriller, seven ripoff. Leland Orser plays his partner, Robert Joy from uh, like Land of the Dead, which I just recently rewatched. Uh, is an FBI agent who's advising him on the case. Uh, somebody else is in it that was I was happy to see. I don't remember who, but uh, I recommend it if people are looking like when the Black Friday sale happens. If people are looking for a Vinegar Syndrome title to pick up, I recommend Resurrection. All right, so it's all right, Patrick. So yeah. Tusk. All right, Tusk. so what, what's your what's your favorite track? Sisters of the Moon. So Tusk. Beautiful Child. Is this a Fleetwood Mac joke? This is a Fleetwood Mac joke, yeah. I don't like Fleetwood Mac. I feel bad about that, but I'm not into Fleetwood Mac. I'm not going to say you shouldn't feel bad, but I will say nobody's perfect and I love you anyway. Good, let's move on. I appreciate it. All right. Tusk. Tusk. Um, Gosh, is this the first movie to be, to originate from a podcast? Yeah. and it's the first one until we make our Guy Lapointe <laughs> and uh, a Hudson Hawk oh, all right. uh, go to a diner 
uh, movie. Yes, I'm yes, into it. Is, it. Is, 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 is the first? I believe. I believe so. So 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 you you want to make a movie about a walrus man? Yeah. But the problem is that you're Kevin Smith. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What do you do? Um, no, yes, I believe this is the first uh, the first movie. By a major figure, anyway, right. based on a podcast, and which and we and we will get into that because that is worth praise. I think that is worth discussion. Well, it's 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 super interesting. I remember the first time I saw the movie, I hadn't heard the episode of Smodcast, the Walrus and the Carpenter, that uh, where they sort of riff on this and come up with the idea for the movie. But I remember sitting through the movie. This was like my first official critics screening when I joined the Chicago critics association. Okay. My first one was the guest, but that was like, uh, where they had like radio contest winners and stuff. This was my first, like just critics, just critics. Right. Yeah. So, and it was Tusk. And I remember sitting through the end credits and they start playing clips from the podcast. And I was like, wow, I'm actually kind of amazed at how closely this adheres to what they yeah. came up with on the fly and how much of that they kept in the movie. And then on the drive home, I downloaded the episode and listened to it and was like, yeah, this is pretty much the movie that they're describing. Yeah, I uh, so I we've talked about this a lot before, but I, I obviously a Kevin Smith fan. I was listening to Smogcast. I was I was a little bit more, I guess, in that in that opposite position where I heard the episode first um, and followed the news as it's, as it sounded like it was actually going to become a movie. So it was incredibly exciting, um, and incredibly strange and weird to hear this, you know, podcast riff become a movie. So, um, and it does, I, we can talk about this. It does mostly adhere. Um, there are some changes, um, that I, I think are kind of interesting when you think about how a movie has to be structured and probably during Kevin Smith's initial thinking about how he was going to structure out the movie he had to make make some changes that i think sometimes kind of take away from the excitement of the movie but we'll talk about that um but no i thought it was incredibly interesting um and and for those who aren't aware uh so the the text of the ad is is available so it's so the idea is that they're riffing on a gum tree ad which a gum tree is a is a uh a website mostly it looks like in the uk that offers it's like classifieds um, and it was a it was a a ad asking for a lodger, uh, somebody to just stay in a home um, for free, provided that they dress up in a pre-made walrus costume for two hours a day and basically pretend to be a walrus. Um, it is presented apparently sincerely. Um, uh, Kevin and Scott on the on the podcast got a lot of got a lot of humor out of out of just sort of playing the scenario. It did end up being exposed as a hoax which i don't think matters really but it no. is kind of interesting yeah it is because the the sincerity is there you know what i mean and it's alive so you can hear it and it doesn't really matter that it's not real but um it does mostly end up sticking to to the to the to the original ad and it's basically just a very sincere like look i've i've lived a long life and i spent this time with a companion named Gregory who happened to be a walrus and I'm just looking to recreate that. I'm an old man and I'm alone and um, <laughs> want to hang out with a walrus. And again, we're not shaming anybody. We're not kink shaming anybody, but um, you can listen to Smilecast episode 259. It's called the walrus and the carpenter. And they essentially, as you said, riff this plot for what would become Tusk. Um, 
I have turned on this movie. I, I, I was really... I was really confused because this was a time in Kevin Smith's career post dogma, which we just talked about post Zach and Mary post cop out um, and post red state. He had just made red state and he had just done the whole like Steven Soderbergh, fuck the system. I'm done being a director. This is bullshit tirade thing. He had just done the whole, I was, too husky to be on an airplane fiasco all that he was in a very interesting creative place and um one of the things he says in one of the interviews i watched um in preparation was that he always wrote movies about what he knew he, you know he wrote clerks because he was a clerk he wrote mall rats because he hung out a mall um dogma because he was a catholic etc 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 and he says what am I now and he's like well now i'm a podcaster like that's what i do like i, I i'm i'm still tangentially interested in filmmaking but i'm mostly building this smodcast business he's taking it on the road and you know as we've discussed before kevin smith was one of the earliest podcasters i don't care how you slice it smodcast was out long before most of the other major podcasts that took hold in in popular consciousness if you listen to like the earliest episode of episodes of smodcast they are like strange things where you could you could tell that they weren't really sure what a podcast should or would be or and and he's and he's evolved it and he's had you know ups and downs and things like that but i thought it was really interesting the way he basically said like well look i'm i I, you know the one thing i'm good at right now is taking a concept riffing on it with my friends fleshing it out and presenting it to my audience and my audience niche as they are small as they are not that they're small but you know everybody is in their own little media bubble at this point right He's basically just like, I'm going to make this movie and I don't really care if anybody sees it. I don't I would like people to see it. I'm hoping it becomes like a Cronenberg, David Lynch kind of midnight movie success thing. But like I at least you know the way he told the story at the time was like, I just I just this is what I do. This is the most honest I can be. Like I made my big studio sellout movie. You know, I made my like coming of age Jersey girl like thinking I was going to evolve as a filmmaker. And like this is what I know. And this is what I knew at the time. And and I think I think it's a really really rough movie in places, and we'll talk about it. But like, I, I, at the very least, the spirit of it makes sense to me in in my understanding of Kevin Smith and where he was at this time. You know what I mean? Like where he's just like, look, I'm just going to try to be as honest as I can about this, and warts and all, I'm just going to put this out there and see what happens. I kind of wish he had stayed on this path because, yeah. in in a lot of ways, I think this is his most interesting movie. Um, we talked a lot on the dogma episode about how that's a movie that's full of ideas, but not a, not, doesn't have a real clear sense of how to communicate most of those ideas. Chasing Amy feels like, uh, maybe his most personal movie. Um, I don't know. I was watching this last night asking myself like, wait, is this Kevin Smith's best movie? (laughs) Because... It's. I think it's certainly his best made movie. I think it looks the best. It looks great. Yeah, and that's. Uh, it's uh, James Laxton who would go on to become Barry Jenkins's guy. He gets an Oscar nomination for Midnight or uh, Moonlight. Moonlight. That's wild. It looks great. It's a great looking movie. <laughs> it really is. I. I. <laughs> some of the editing doesn't work for me, and I wasn't surprised to discover yeah. in the end credits that it is once again edited by edited Kevin by. Smith. Yeah. Some yeah, of the yeah. editing I think is really good. Some of it doesn't work as well for me. Um, but. Go ahead. 
No, no, no. You go ahead. No, it's just, I just, I'm agreeing with you that it's a great looking movie. Yeah. Um, which helps a lot, like in the absurdity, in the horror, right. in the, you know what I mean? Like it really does go a long way. So let's, I mean, I feel like we should just address the Johnny Depp thing right oh, up we, front. We. <laughs> Thank you, Guy. Uh, because the sort of conventional wisdom about the movie is, okay, it's interesting and good and it's kind of a straightforward horror movie until Johnny Depp shows up and then it becomes this silly comedy. And I would argue that, A, it's kind of been a silly comedy the whole time. Yeah. Albeit one that's sort of nightmarish. And B, that the Johnny Depp stuff isn't as out of step with the rest of the movie as I once thought. So I so we, we spoke at the beginning about whether or not the movie goes off the rails when this happens. And I, even today I'm rewatching it and I'm thinking to myself, like, this is like, man, the movie just grinds to a halt right here. Like, really? Ugh. But then the rest of the movie, I was... And, and you know what's weird about it is the flashbacks helped, I think, when, which, is, yeah. which is really where it's like, oh, no, wait, you're, as you said, this has kind of been the tone. You know, like, like we're every time we step out of the walrus dungeon, you know, we, we're, we're kind of like reminded that, you know, Haley Joel Osment is running around out there, you know, burping and farting and like all that stuff. Like there's those weird that weird goofy element to the movie that still exists. And this is sort of absurd. And one of the notes I wrote down was like, OK, like, is this a horror movie with jokes is is this a comedy with scares is it both you know is it like Shaun of the dead is it in between and then i was thinking to myself i think johnny depp is kind of good <laughs> <laughs> i like his existence because i like the notion for what it means yes like right i like the idea that if Michael Parks exists, <laughs> yes, there must be a a uh, right. Uh, what's his face to uh, Pink Ahab. Panther? Uh, well, well, that yeah. But I was thinking more of uh, the detective in the Pink Panther. Jesus, Clouseau, Clouseau. Like there's a Clouseau chasing him. You right. know what I mean? Right, like, right, 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 right. I was thinking more of like Moby Dick and Ahab. Right. Like yeah, I mean that too. But the fact that you could draw both of those comparisons <laughs> kind of shows you like the weird middle ground that this movie finds. Like, and and, and again, we you know the, the the accent, it's ridiculous. Like, I mean, it's yes. but, but like, but it's one of those things where you're like, you're watching it, and you're like, okay, well, but then fucking Michael Parks jumps in, and there's that where, where it's like you, you see that scene at the restaurant or the, the fast food place, and you're like, okay, this is Johnny Depp, you know, and I'm thinking like, oh, his daughter's in this movie because you know. Because his because his daughter their daughters are best friends like if you know and again this this so much of this movie is for like Kevin Smith completists and Smodcast regular listeners but one of the things that you know if you know Smodcast is that Lily Rose Depp and Harley Quinn Smith are best friends or they, at least they were at this time and they grew up together and all that stuff so like, all right well it makes sense that Johnny Depp would finally show up in a Kevin Smith movie and maybe this is just his scene but then there's that extended flashback scene with him where Michael Parks is doing this very sh sort of strange deliverance voice <laughs> and you and 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 again the movie sort of grinds to a halt and you're kind of just like okay and, and then it cuts back to a walrus man <laughs> and you're like okay well i can no longer argue that this is out of step because that's a walrus man right so what are we doing here and and, and good i just i'm amazed i've watched the movie this was my third or fourth time seeing it 
And every time my movie clock is thrown off by the arrival of the full-blown walrus man, yeah. I keep thinking the movie is building to this and we're going to get there sometime in the third act. And instead it's at about the hour mark that we reveal yeah. full walrus. It's very early on. Yeah. 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 And I think that's kind of great. I think because of the nature of it, it's kind of great because it is not I mean, look, I think that the reveal is terrifying. I legitimately think that that image where it's the snap zoom and it's just it's so you you I today I was watching it. And I like when it when it happened, I giggled to myself, but I sort of was also taken aback. Like it was one of those like gasp laughs where I was like, whoa, like, OK, that <laughs> that is because obviously it looks rubbery and all that. But you're also yeah. just like, well, that like and it's and, and again, maybe speaking to the cinematography where like, wow, he just lit it. And yeah. shot it. Yeah. And you're just like, it's right there and you're gonna deal with it. I'm like, wow, that is a lot. Like that is and and you know, the the his like then it becomes this weird romance <laughs> where, <laughs> where they're like Michael Parks is naked in the pool and they're swimming together and he's singing to him and they're talking and 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 again, you know, thinking about what we've talked about when we've talked about Kevin Smith, which is him leaning on his crutches so much this one is just like fuck it <laughs> yes like, i wish more movies were like fuck it yes like because even if the... you don't like this movie and i completely understand not liking this movie i was mixed on the movie the first time i saw it because i yeah. couldn't deny that some of it affected me but i took issue with some of it um I, I'm much more positive on it now than I used to be because each time I revisit it, I'm just like, love it or hate it, this movie is not afraid to do whatever the fuck it wants, and I wish more movies were like this. I wish more of his movies did this. I wish more movies in general did this. And yeah. and look, I mean, there are a thousand things with this movie that make me crazy. Like I, and even and again, like even a fucking Kevin Smith completist like me, I'm rolling my eyes at the in jokes and the references and. I, his Canada obsession is like, I can't tell if he's making fun of Canada, if he's like in on the joke, if he thinks he's making a joke that he's not making. Like, there's so many things about his Canada obsession that confound me. And, yeah. and you know, I mean, it's his business. He's a lot of like Canada. That's great. And Canada's, I'm sure, is wonderful. I've never been, but I'm sure the people there are very nice. And But like, then he's doing things like, like some of the puns are like real sweaty. Like he's got this Nazi party thing. Oof. Which is just like, obviously, in you know, in the years since, it's become much more cringy. And then, then they explain it, and I'm like, okay, I'm not any closer to liking this. So it's <laughs> like, our show is about how I go on adventures, but right. my best friend right. doesn't see them. Right. Yeah. No. It doesn't so it's work. the not see, and I'm like, I'm like, Kevin, I can see you getting high, hyping. <laughs> And you're like, that's hysterical. And then you tried to backdoor it, an explanation, and it didn't quite work. But you know what? This is a movie, again, to go on Kevin Smith's famous crutch from Dogma. This is a movie with a giant walrus monster. <laughs> so how serious are we going to take it? But then like, he's riffing on the Star Wars kid, you know? And, like, yeah, like, yeah. Like, 
what is this? Like, and if you know Smogcast, there's references to Ponder Rock, which is my favorite all-time episode of, of Smogcast, um, which is where Kevin Smith uh, plays a tape of himself from age like 18 and makes fun of himself. And he goes to this place he calls Ponder Rock. It's actually in Chasing Amy. Um, you can see it. It overlooks the town of Highlands, New Jersey, where he's from. Um, this, These are things that are in my brain instead <laughs> of important things. Like they're like my son's social security number. I don't know it. Oh, but my God. I know that Ponder Rock is a real place in Highlands, New Jersey, that uh, Ben Affleck sits on in Jersey Girl, overlooking the town where Kevin Smith grow, grew up in. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there's lots of little things like that that just make me kind of just like, come on. And he's got Ralph Garman in there doing, like, weird Canadian stuff. and But then you've got this Michael Parks performance. Holy shit. Where you're like holy shit (laughs) (laughs) yeah michael parks was great in red state he was kind of the whole show i think in red state which you know again red state is like a movie that i think is okay i just think if anybody else made it i think we said this on the dogma show like if anybody else made that movie i don't think we'd be talking about it um so it's an interesting departure for kevin smith and if it ultimately leads to tusk more power to it because tusk is where i want him to go um and he kind of, unfortunately, has since, I don't want to say regressed, but, you know, we got another Jay and Silent Bob movie, and now we're getting another Clerks movie, and I'm I'm as interested and as excited in Clerks 3 as anybody, because there was a lot that I really liked in Clerks 2, um, and I'm hoping Clerks 3 is more of that and less of, like, Donkey Show and stuff. Yeah. Um, but, man, I wish... I wish he had done more tusks. Um, and I'm wondering if it's like, if it's just because Tusk and Red State and Yoga Hosers and all that, where he was so heavily, like the budgets were real low. He was self distributing a lot of it. I think, I think he put Red State out himself. Yeah. Um, a 20, by the way, this is an a 24 movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, just, just if we can throw a little more cred, uh, the, uh this movie's way, this is an a fucking 24 movie. All right. Um, you don't see this on those completest library shelves on Twitter. <laughs> Where's fucking Tusk, people? Yeah, right next to the um, Ari Aster movies and the Green Knight. <laughs> which I still haven't watched. I know I'm going to get a screener for it. And it's, I'm no watch it. <laughs> it's no Tusk. It's no Tusk. I'll see it when, it, when a, when a freaking award screener arrives in my mailbox, and I'll watch it, and yeah. I'm sure I'll like it, but okay. I know much, I'd rather A24 do more of this shit, too. But um, the other thing that's so interesting about the Michael Parker's performance is it's paired with this um, Justin Long performance where he is this boorish asshole. And I'm watching this contrast between these two characters and thinking to myself, Kevin Smith only knows how to write characters who talk like Kevin Smith. This is interesting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like he very rarely has a contrast like this in his movies. Like right. most, even, even like the Metatron and dogma is, overwritten to sound sort of you know a little bit more bombastic but he still sounds he still has that kevin smith cadence to him well he talks like everybody else in dogma right he talks like everybody else in dogma yeah this is like these are distinct like and 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 the drama of their scenes together is you can feel the parks character watching him recognizing his boorishness you can i mean justin long i just wanted to strangle him like you're just like he's the 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 fucking worst and you're just like and you're like oh wait kevin smith recognizes this and he he knows that and um 
Justin Long, by the way, a very nice guy. Adam and I met him, and he was he was a super sweet dude. And yeah, that's what Adam said. I always like him and stuff. I mean, I th- yeah, he's, he's an actor. I'm always happy to see show up. I know he directed a movie that's coming out with Judy Greer, uh, Ant something, or I don't remember the name of it, but he's he now very, directing yeah. movies. He was very cool. He talked to us way longer than he had to. So was, did he talk about Tusk at all? I think we may have forgotten to ask him about Tusk. How could you forget to I ask him about Tusk? I don't know what happened there. We'd have to ask Adam. Adam's memory is way better than mine. But he was super nice. He was a super nice guy. Um, and he's really good at this. He's really good at this just like asshole and the mustache. And like then he's got the Genesis Rodriguez, you know, contrast with, with her. And, and I mean, we can talk about that because I, I mean, I don't know how off track we're going to go just yet. But like like the the. The whole subplot with the best friends, I can understand why that's in there, but then there's some weird things in there that I feel like are distracting. Like the whole like like uh, her monologue is 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 beautiful, obviously, and there's this wonderful acting in it, but it really doesn't like have anything to do with anything. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Whole, I mean, in terms like, of like a guy turning into a walrus, having, but. Like, I mean, do I mean, all right, I guess maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I know. I mean, I think it paints a picture of Wallace as an even bigger scumbag of who this guy is. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. But but also just like, I don't know, for some reason, maybe just because I wanted that because I feel like it's that thing where when I watch Thor Ragnarok and every time I see Kate Blanchett, even though I love Kate Blanchett, I'm like, you no, shh, stop. Go back to the other thing like this. This subplot is 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 meaningless. Like, I hate this. I hate the whole subplot with her on on uh, what's it called? Asgard is just like slows the, movie, rock. slows the movie down. I've um, only seen that movie once. Yeah, you I you could totally just flick through the fun parts with Jeff Goldblum on Netflix. Um, that movie is super overrated. But anyway, uh, <laughs> hot take, hot take, that dropping bombs, is... dropping bombs. That's all right. I called Tusk Kevin Smith's best movie. So <laughs> look, if you made it this, this far is... to the Tusk episode, <laughs> after six hundred, all fucking bets are off, people. Yeah, seriously, no, it's fine. We're, we're gonna burn this place down. Ragnarok is a fine movie. It's just it's it's the Kate Blanchett stuff is boring as fuck, and you all know it. Yeah. All right. Um. Anyway, uh, so but, but it's fine. But then again, but then the Haley Joel Osment, Genesis Rodriguez subplot, and and this speaks to what I was going to say before because the changes that he makes to the to the um story because in the in the original story the the original post the guy knows that he has to wear a walrus outfit going into it right like the right. the idea is that he takes the position of lodger right knowing, knowing that he'll have to wear the, the thing so to make it into a movie you have to shift things around where it's like oh i'm a podcaster and i'm going to investigate you because um the star wars kid passed away and so now i need somebody who can tell a story and i see a post for a guy who tells a story and he the, the walrus stuff comes later on it's a little bit different so i could understand him having to add a subplot with the best friends sort of chasing him and all that. But in his original idea, in the original podcast, he says like, we never leave the walrus place. Right. And I'm kind of wondering, like as much as I like the two, the two performances and it leads, it gives us this very strange Johnny jet thing and all that. And this ending, which the ending makes no sense, but, but it's okay <laughs> because it's poignant, I guess the ending of like him in the zoo and them coming to feed him a fish. It's, 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 it's an ending that, he, you could tell he wanted because it's absurd and, and interesting and plays on the themes, but it's like, just get him some medical attention. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a walrus. He's gone full walrus. He can't go back. I guess so. <laughs> you can't go back once you go full walrus. 
Uh, you can't go back once you go <laughs> man. I, I don't mind the side characters. I don't mind the stuff with the friends again, because yeah. I think it paints a picture of who Wallace is. It gives us some characters to sort of sympathize with and to care about, even though I would argue we care about Wallace to the degree that like what's happening to him is so horrible um, that we can't help but sympathize with him which makes it so much weirder that like the movie is so glib about star Wars kid or kill bill kid, I guess I should say. Yeah. Um, like first cutting his own leg off being hilarious and then later committing suicide being like, Oh, just an annoyance. And again, I know that we're just trying to paint Wallace as a careless asshole, but like the movie sort of takes that position at least about kill bill kid as well. Right. And that's the problem is is where we start to wonder where Kevin Smith's allegiances lie because he's making right. a movie about an obnoxious podcaster, knowing that he's an obnoxious podcaster. Right. So you invite that interpretation, but right. then you also you have to play it, you have to play fair with the audience. So we have to judge everything through that lens if that's the lens you're presenting. Right. And I and I think that's really the only time that the movie kind of does that in terms of its mean spiritedness because the rest of it is all directed at Justin Long. Um and I, I just, I really like the performances of Haley Joel Osment and Genesis Rodriguez, and I agree with you that monologue is so good. I feel like it should have gotten her more Some, and bigger work. Well, if A24 was what it is today, it probably would have. I just haven't seen her in a ton of stuff. Yeah, I haven't either. I, I, I went and head and down the IMDb rabbit hole, and it was not very deep for her, unfortunately. It really should be better. Looks like she does a lot of voice work. Yeah. It's a shame. She's she was really good in this. And and again, I'm not you know this my criticism about the subplot aside. I mean, I and I even like. I mean, I think Haley Joel Osment plays a good kind of you know asshole in this too, and a little bit. Of, but then also he's got that sort of integrity to him where when he and Justin Long are having those conversations about the girlfriend and all that, he has you can tell he's he internalizes a lot. And I haven't yeah. seen a ton of Haley Joel Osment's adult work. Um, I'm hoping he comes back as the villain in the fourth uh, Shyamalan trilogy, Unbreakable trilogy movie. I assume so. Um, I, I figure that's just going to happen. Like he just he just comes back. He's playing the same character. Um, actually, he's playing Gila Pomp. Um, I <laughs> see uh, dead people. Um, just the easiest jokes in the world. Um, but uh, I do. Like well, dude, considering where everybody ends up at the end of Glass, at least Haley Joel Osment can still see them all. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Including Midnight in the Switchgrass's Bruce Willis. Uh, also of Hudson Hawk. That's right. He's actually in that one. He has I a just, small part. I just want him to walk around going, head or gut. Head, <laughs> head or gut. <sighs> anyway. Bruce. Bruno. Anyway. anyway Tusk. Tusk. <laughs> um, Jinx. <laughs> I can't stop laughing at Michael Parks um, yeah. when he's... <laughs> trying to explain to when Justin Long is first just uh in the wheelchair. Yeah. And he's talking about the spider that bit him. Start singing Itsy Bitsy Spider. Before that, where he just like runs out of bullshit and he's like almost trying not to laugh and he's just like yeah. the spider, the spider. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Just, it is the funniest shit. I cannot get enough of his performance because like you said, he speaks in this florid way that doesn't sound like other Kevin Smith dialogue and doesn't sound like any other character in the movie. Yeah. And he's doing like, 
you know, he'll quote from Hemingway or whatever. And then Justin Long's character immediately undercuts it by being like, oh, that's Hemingway. I know Hemingway. And you're like, oh, shut the fuck up. Do that. <laughs> but but it but it makes sense in the context of the movie. And you wonder if that's Kevin Smith getting not being able to get out of his own way. But then also, again, we have this sort of metatextual thing where it's like he's playing the annoying podcast. Right. right. Ugh, so much of this movie is like so I just I just I, 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 I swear to God, if I ever met Kevin Smith, I would just want to talk about Tusk. Yes, uh, I, 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 I can't tell you how much Chasing Amy means to me. <laughs> I fucking love Dogma, despite its flaws. Clerks is like a, a, a foundational text in my life, but I would just want to talk about Tusk, <laughs> <laughs> and especially with like, you know, however many years of hindsight. Right. <clears throat> well, at the time, I, mean? I know it was so dismissed for a lot of reasons. Obviously, it's a Kevin Smith movie. It's a weird Kevin Smith movie. The premise is absurd. Uh, it's tonally all over the place. But one of the reasons I remember even critics at my very exclusive screening were uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> dismissing it was because it was based on a podcast. And it was like, right. oh, great, the first movie based on a podcast. Hopefully it's the last. And, you know, this past summer we get Zola, uh, which I believe is also A24, based on a Twitter thread and nobody bats a fucking eye. Well, and also uh, you might be the killer. Remind is, me what uh, you might be the killer. Is. You might be the killer. Oh is, yeah, what is was the that one that's based on? based on the? It was based on a Twitter thread. Was uh, it really? Yeah, that's the whole thing. Oh, um, I didn't know that. That's it's all the. I mean, that's no the offense. Fran Kranz one, right? The, the, the Twitter thread is funnier than the movie. No offense. Um, I didn't movie. love the movie. It, it is based on. Uh, it's Chuck Wending. If you go on Chuck Wending's Twitter, it's him and Sam Sykes talking back and forth, and it's legitimately just like you know. Well, I'm not going to do the whole thing, but it's it's that whole like, hey, Did I you think do I. The whole thing? I'm cover- I do it as Guy Lepont. Uh, <laughs> hey, I'm covered in blood. Uh, what, what do I do? You know, it's that whole thing. But the, the Twitter thread is really funny. So that's only, uh, well, that's 2018. So that's a couple years later. But, yeah. you know, again, Kevin Smith talks about all the time being first through the door. Like, I call it the Phantom Menace principle, where you're just like, Phantom Menace is a mess, but you know what? Every friggin' visual effects animator who works on who worked on phantom menace said that phantom menace invented like 75 technologies that people still use today so phantom menace might not be a great movie but it was first through the door it got bloodied and it served its purpose and i think phantom menace is best of the prequel trilogy if we're doing hot takes are we uh, doing okay post post episode 600 it's my favorite of the prequel trilogy I would I would say it's the best made movie of the prequel trilogy. A lot of people. So I had a student. I think I told you guys this. I had a student who I, I was doing a little first day of school poll, and one of the questions in there was about movies, obviously. And uh, one of the students went on a long rant about uh, episode three and about how it's his favorite one, and he knows that's cliche because obviously that's the best one. <laughs> and I was sitting there thinking to myself, like, oh, my sweet summer child. Like, like, what, what is this culture you're a part of that universally agrees right. that episode three is the best Star Wars oh, movie? Like, and I wasn't ragging on him, but because that's his experience, and that's fine for him. That's that's he was, you know, wasn't born when any of these movies came out, so obviously they're all Star Wars to him, you know. And I was just like, my goodness, this is this is so interesting. But uh, no, of, of course, Phantom Menace is the best of the of the prequels. That I I, I still maintain that if you read somebody the plot of attack of the clones. If you sat around a campfire and you told somebody the plot of attack of the clones, they would, they would say that is the coolest movie I've ever heard of in my life. The problem is the execution is just so incredibly strange. But yeah. Hot takes, hot takes, hot takes, hot takes, Tusk. Um, Tusk. So, so Stevie Nicks, Stevie Nicks. So 
last night I rewatched this movie, and this is important. Because since 2014, I mean, no big deal. But yeah, I have the Blu-ray. Who'd you who'd you who'd you watch with? Well, that's what's important here. Yeah, I know (laughs) where you're going with this. Um, This was this was in my notes. Since 2014, my beautiful and wonderful wife Erica has been afraid to see this movie. Uh, I can't imagine why. Just based on my description of it. Just by me saying, like, well, it's about this guy who gets turned into a walrus. And she freaks out. To the point where she became freaked out by just an actual walrus. I would send her a picture (laughs) of an actual walrus and she would have nightmares. So last night, I present her with three movies. Because we're going to watch a scary movie because it's October. Uh, Sleepwalkers. Because she was looking for something with, like... I forget what she said, fun and teenagers dancing or something. And I was like, well, that's match anemic. Um, mm. A John Carpenter that she hadn't seen. So I went Prince of Darkness. Nice. And then Tusk, because I had to watch it for the podcast. And she, this is important to note, she chose Tusk. I didn't force it on her. I didn't say, wow. we're going to watch Tusk. You have to watch it with me. She this is, this elected is a person- to watch it. This is a person for listeners out there who don't know who we had to prepare for the exploding radioactive man in RoboCop. <laughs> <Was she? laughs> because she shrieked like a banshee through everything else that was remotely violent that day. Uh, which and she's not like a sh- uh, shrinking violent no, not, in terms not, of mean, violence or any you know she can handle it for the most part she just is very participatory uh, when she watches stuff and she yep. gets freaked out by stuff. And so <laughs> watching Tusk with her was obviously it was the best it's ever been because I was watching it with her. And like the first time we see, you know, he's turned his hand into a flipper. She's just like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> at the point, by the point at which they reveal Justin Long and full walrus again at about an hour into the movie. Yep. She jumps off the couch, down onto the floor, was crawling around the floor on all fours, <laughs> shrieking, went into the kitchen and just collapsed. <laughs> it, was, it was unreal. <laughs> oh my God. And the whole time she's doing it, it's like adorable. It's not because even like, know. you know. Because I know Erica and I can right. see her doing that. I right. can see her just, just her hands going up in the air and just like her hair just shooting up. She's like, Whoa! just running away. Just crawling. It like didn't know what else to do. She just started crawling around the floor oh and collapsed in the kitchen. And when she finally returned, what did she have to say? She about? just said, like, I didn't think we were going to see the whole thing. You know, oh because goodness. she too was taken so by surprise that like the full reveal uh, in full right. bright light, it's just early yeah. in the movie, she was completely caught off guard. And I just, I don't think she knew that like, I don't know what, I think she was thinking that like his face was going to be like, sort of like the Michael Parks suit at the end of the movie, that right. like Justin right, right, Long's right. face was going to be poking through this walrus suit. I don't think she knew that like he was going to transform his face into a walrus also and give him actual tusks and the mustache and all that. And so I think there was something so alarming and terrifying about that. And again, that's a suit designed by Howard Berger, right? Uh, yeah, as far as I know. 
and it's incredibly effective. It looks like cheap and weird, but in exactly but, the way that it's supposed to. Exactly the right way. Yeah. Yeah. No. And and that's and that's so. God, I forgot about the Michael Parks in the suit. That's another thing where you get to the end of that movie. Or I said before, the second half of the movie is this weird romance where it's like right. now he's a warrior. So you have to fight me and you have to kill me because I have to assuage my guilt about like leaving Mr. Tusk behind and all that. And, and, and there's this weird, like fearic victory at the end. And, and then so much of the, 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 the second half of the movie is, 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 I mean, Justin Long is, I think it's him in the, him in there acting as Mr. Tusk and like emoting, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, his, his dialogue for the rest of the movie is just grunts and, and, and we, you know, sort of whines and things like that. Oh, but, that noise he makes is awful. Oh my god, it's like so strange, and it, it really does like, like it's like a Cronenberg thing. Like yeah. you're, you're like you know like you're watching this and you're just like you're 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 laughing and you're also just overwhelmed by the absurdity of it and you're overwhelmed by like I can't believe like that's the that's the Mac guy. <laughs> like, right, right. He, he's a Mac. You know what I mean? Like, now a, he's a fucking walrus. Now he's a fucking walrus. <laughs> <laughs> and that and that again, if we go back to this discussion of whether or not Guy Laplante ruins the movie, it's like, how could you possibly argue that by the time you get to the end of the movie? Like it's 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 there. It's all there. That's where the movie was always heading. Yeah, I think because Guy Laplante shows up so soon after that reveal where it becomes right. a true nightmare of body horror. Yeah. And you're like, okay, maybe I'm all in on this. Maybe Kevin Smith is making this very effective horror movie for the first time because Red State really wasn't, you know? Right. Um, and then he sort of undermines it <laughs> with Guy LaPuente, uh, which not having seen it a few times now, knowing that Guy LaPuente is coming, sort of knowing the overall tone of the movie, knowing that it's this weird kind of jerking back and forth. Is it too horrifying to be funny or is it too funny to be totally horrifying? Right. Um, Gila Point doesn't bother me anymore, but I but I can understand somebody reacting that way because even Erica had that reaction. She was kind of all in on the nightmare, and then Johnny Depp shows up, and she was like, "Oh, what is this? This is like too cartoonish. Why is he doing this?" And it's like we talk a lot about like tonal control, and when we're criticizing a movie, we say, "Oh, the tone is all over the place," but like in this case, that almost works to the movie's benefit. Like, I would it, agree. It almost, yeah. Whether, it, it whether almost intentional like, or not, I, I right. agree that it works to the movie's benefit. It works to the movie's benefit because like in, in some ways, Kevin Smith can't get out of his own way, but in some ways it does. It cuts through a little bit of that, just like just horror, that absurdity that you're seeing. And, and I mean, movies do that all the time. We always cut away from, from horrifying moments or we try to add levity or whatever, you know? And, and, and so much of this movie does that in again you know as you said sort of intentional or not but it's there and when we have to we have to kind of i think respect it because it's just such a there are so many times where i can watch a kevin smith movie and i can see him making decisions and there are so many times in this movie where i can't even imagine him writing this screenplay <laughs> like, like i can't even see it it's so strange it's so it's 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 and and, and like we said a lot of that's cinematography in terms of the sort of elegance of the way it looks and you mentioned some of the editing not really working for you i i had a weird thing with this whole like we're gonna cut back but we're gonna show a different version of the scene okay i i, I thought that was kind of not strange but like 
it was interesting that he chose to do it that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I was sort of, what, what do you think about that? Because I'm wondering, like, not that it undercuts anything, and it does obviously add more layers to to the character, as we said before. But it's it's an interesting device that you don't really see, right? Like, because it's not from a, it's not like Rashomon, like it's not like from a point of view, you <laughs> or know is I mean? it? Like or or it is, is it? Maybe it is, but it's not, it's not, it's not it's specifically. I don't think anyway. Well, maybe it is, because maybe the girls. Because we do stick with the girls longer in the other one. Maybe it is. Maybe it is a Rashomon situation. I don't know. But Tusk has layers, man. Tusk has as as many layers as whatever lunch Gilapont was ordering at that restaurant from Kevin Smith's wife. There's uh, um, the some the Gimli slider. There's the Gimli uh, slider. Yeah. There's layers of blubber on this walrus. There you go. Because it's a reference to the Gimli glider, which is like a Brown famous this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's layers. <laughs> Can we stop the well? Wait, yeah. Can we, I just want to stop the thing where we. I was talking to Heather about it the other day, and she referred to it as uh, tweet baiting, like where we when we do the first reactions to a movie on Twitter, and we're trying to get quoted. Yeah. Can we stop doing that? I'll never ever write a review that will ever have a poll quote in it because, <laughs> and that's why I've given up on that. But yeah, I I I even I even like. And they want you to do that. You know what I mean? Like they want you. Yeah, for sure. They they tell you in their emails, you know, like social media reactions are important. And, 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 you know, when you, when you get to the point where you're working with a publicist and they, and they have a responsibility and it's like, we're letting you see this movie for free. We would like you to talk about it. And you go back and forth. And it is this like very much like they are having to respond to our 24 hour media cycle now. And it's like, yeah, you know, Anything you can say, you know, early on would be great, you know, or like right. try to, you know, and yeah, it really is. It's bad for the discourse, as 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 we like to say. Yeah, yeah. No more, no more tweet baiting, everybody. Yeah, let's not do that anymore. I think that's, I think that's a great idea. I think we can all agree on that. Except for my brilliant line about blubber on the walrus. Well, that's good. I mean, we're gonna make that into a poster. That's yeah. That's, yeah oh, poster gonna, for Tusk. I, Are we still making Tusk posters in twenty twenty one? I'm gonna look right now. Hang on a second. Do you think Mondo is gonna like come out with one? There better be a vinyl. If Mondo's doing it, there better be like a vinyl, like a multicolored vinyl. I, you, There's only Patrick, 300 available. They're a hundred dollars. They sell out in two minutes. I can get a Tusk poster for ten dollars from Walmart.com. Not that I would ever buy anything off Walmart.com, but no. I could. And what's the poster? Is it the? It's the it's the moon. Like it's the. Okay, the, that's the one I like. I don't like the, the Justin poster. Long with the tusks. Oh no, that's that's like that's like asshole DVD cover shit. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's some screen gems or that's some uh what, what anchor bay bullshit um yeah no the, the the poster is the poster is interesting um although the the the, the tagline let me tell you a story is sort of underwhelming it's, it's underwhelming yeah know? um but that's okay um and i love that it has it speaking of like we always joke about like aol keyword you know yeah. uh, whatever on posters this one has uh, a truly transformative tale from at that kevin smith Oh, that's annoying. Uh, he was all in on his in, on his Twitter, but you know what? Again, so is everybody else now. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Like you know, we 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 just went through a season of trying to sell movies in every way possible, and people tried a lot of different things. So the fact that Kevin Smith was like, "Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm extremely online, and that's how it's going to be from now on." Yeah, it's like all right. Um. So uh, so you oh go ahead. 
no, no. I just wanted one. I was looking through my notes here just in case there's anything we didn't we didn't yeah. talk about. I wanted to I wanted to throw out a, a reference for any any epic mealtime fans. Uh, you've got Harley Mortenstein, or Mortenstein. I'm sorry, uh, from Epic Mealtime as the uh, customs officer at the airport, who talks about how Canadians are. Uh, what is it? We're we're not nice. We're something uh, optimistic. Uh, optimistic or something that's uh that's harley mortenstein from epic mealtime which is a which is a youtube channel i was a fan of in college okay um, because because it's a youtube channel specifically made for college uh bros uh it's essentially a channel where a bunch of canadian guys get together and make increasingly complicated meals out of bacon and maple syrup it's extremely ridiculous they're still going i think there was a tv show for a while wow um but uh harley shows up in a lot of kevin smith's latter day productions i just wanted to shout him out um other than that i'm gonna order my poster <laughs> so you would say you're walrus yes on this i would say i am hashtag walrus yes um <laughs> yeah this is so weird i'm genuinely curious because you put out a little teaser on twitter um and just that we were doing this show and just the just the like brief reactions i saw were kind of mixed like like oh yay or oh no or like is this gonna be good or is this and i think a lot of folks are probably stuck in their initial a lot of people probably saw tusk in 2014 and dismissed it and haven't gone back to it and i think we would both encourage you to give it another shot yeah and it's not it's never going to be a movie for everybody which again is part of the reason i like it because uh, so many of Kevin Smith's movies, they're not necessarily movies for everybody, but they're movies that are so specifically for his fan base, which isn't to say that Tusk isn't, but like, I don't know most of the Easter eggs and references that you're talking about, because I was kind of off of the Smodcast train by the time Tusk came out. So I just watch it as a straightforward movie. Like I know who Ralph Garman is when he shows up. I know who Harley Quinn is when she shows up. Um, and I'm one of the rare people that kind of enjoys yoga hosers, actually. The follow-up to Tusk with more Gila Point. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I enjoy that movie mostly as, like, a gift to his daughter, not as much as, like, a movie. Because that, to me, feels more like... Yoga hosers is like the movie people were accusing Tusk of being. Yeah. And I, I just... Am... Yeah, go ahead. I'm not on board with yoga hosers yet, but I would be happy to watch it again. Sure. Yeah, it doesn't all work, and it is a lot of like, oh, Kevin Smith was high when he wrote this, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And it's sloppily made in a way that Tusk isn't. Uh, It's not as cohesive as Tusk, which is weird, because we just spent over an hour talking about how Tusk is not cohesive, (laughs) and it's all over the place. And it was also like a way bigger, well, not way bigger, but it was a bigger budget relative to Tusk's budget. Was it really? It made a lot less. I think Tusk was $3 million, and Yoga Hosers was five. Five million dollars Really? Yeah, and Yoga Hosers made that money is sig- not on the screen. <laughs> I think I think Tusk I think Tusk grossed two million and Yoga Hosers grossed like eighty nine thousand or something. Oh, like that. it was like shit. something something terrible. Well, no wonder he's making Clerks three. <laughs> yeah, well that's well that's the other thing we have to talk about is when we talk about maybe you know to close it out like wishing that he had stayed in this lane and it's like well I don't know would you have stayed in this lane like right. if you took all these risks you know and made this weird shit for your sort of niche audience. You know, 
maybe hoping that it would cross over, but not expecting it to, you know, how do you get funding for anything but Clerks 3 if you're Kevin Smith anymore? You know what I mean? Like anybody now, Kevin Smith goes to a major studio or even a minor studio and just goes like, hey, I want to make a movie. It's like, okay, where are Jay and Silent Bob? Right. Which isn't fair to him, but it's also like, well, you know, <laughs> it's it's movies are expensive. <laughs> yeah, right. This is the business. You know, unfortunately, we can't we can't afford Guy Lapointe in every scene. You know, and no. even though maybe we should, maybe we should, <laughs> maybe every movie should be about Guy Lapointe. Release the Lapointe cut. I'm waiting for uh, Lapointe Lapointe blank. Lapointe of no return. Lapointe of no return. <laughs> <laughs> Ah <gasps> oh, shit! I'm I'm trying. And I'm blanking. I'm like I'm like I was so overwhelmed by point to blank. I was like, oh, that was a good one. Thanks. Yeah, that was nice. Thanks, Patrick Bromley. At this movie, that's right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Tusk. Tusk. Yeah. Tusk. Tusk. Baby. I, I I think I think it's weird that Tusk exists. I think it's weird that we talked about it, and I'm glad that we did. Me too. I'm I'm also glad that it's like the first official podcast of Scary Movie Month. Of, of Scary Movie Month. Nobody yeah. was expecting that. And I'll tell you what, we better see some seven word Tusk reviews in the yes. next couple days. I hope so. so. Is it streaming anywhere right now? Uh I watched it. I rented it on Amazon. You rented um, because it because okay. I don't have the Blu-ray. Why the although, hell not? I really should. Um, if you have I'm the too poster, busy. you might as well get the Blu-ray. I was too busy buying Resident Evil. Oh, that's six, right. You have six, six Resident Evils. Yeah, no, it's not streaming for free anywhere. Unless, I guess Canopy, you can get it through your local library from Canopy. Yeah, our library doesn't have Canopy yet, and it drives me up a fucking wall. Yeah, that's um, I am adding it to the list. I can't buy it outright to myself for the Blu-ray for myself right now because I spent all my scary movie month money right. on Resident Evil. Shit, what's it going for on Blu-ray right but now? But maybe in November it is $15. Yeah, yeah. Just a little, yeah. little, little high for me. That's for Tusk, all. yeah. For Tusk, it's a little... If we get down to the $9.99, I am all in. Pulling the trigger on Tusk. Yeah. 100%. As of right now, Amazon says there's only 19 left in stock. I would like all those to be gone after this podcast comes out, please. You have until Halloween. No. <laughs> yeah, you have until the out. end of the so we got to sell Amazon out of Tusk. We're going to sell Amazon out of Tusk. Hashtag walrus, yes. That's right. <laughs> well, thank you for doing this show, Rob. It was super fun. It was. I'm glad we did it. Me too. Thank you guys for listening. Please keep... Uh, the scary movie challenge reviews coming in and um, what else go to fthismovie.com every day for more scary movie month content. We got bonus podcasts coming out this month. Uh, very exciting new video series starting tomorrow. If you're listening to this, the day it comes out from reserved uh, seating. Hey now, uh, yeah, we're going video baby pivoting to video. Finally, um, you can follow us on Twitter at F this movie. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash F this movie. Uh, if Facebook is still a thing by the time this podcast comes out, or you can email us at F this movie podcast at gmail.com. Thanks again, Rob. I am a very dedicated man who sacrificed my life. Too many marriages. I fuck it. I'm not doing that.
thanks for listening to FS Movie.